Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm here with Diane Drea. She is the author of this book, uh, The Tao of Inner Peace. Uh, she's a positive psychology coast. She's a professor emeritus at Santa Clara University, and she's the lecturer here in the UK uh, at the Positive Psychology, Psychology Guild of the UK. Yes. So, Diane, uh, welcome. Welcome to the show. Oh, I am delighted to be here. Thank you for having me today. <laughs> yeah, all the way from California. Yes. <laughs> Northern Yeah, San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah. San Francisco Bay. Awesome. Okay, so I guess, we, well, let's start. When did you first find the way, the Tao? Like, when did it, when did this kick up, kick off for you? Oh, okay. Well, um, gradually, I've been interested in Eastern philosophy since I was 10 years old. My father was wow. in the air. Yeah, right. Not many 10-year-olds have an interest in Eastern <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> well, you know, it depends on where we, where we are. Uh, I actually had been in the United States, and my father was in the Air Force, so was transferred around. And when I was 10, we moved from California to the Philippine Islands, where I, we lived on Clark Air Force Base, and our house had windows made out of seashells. Mango and papaya trees grew in our yard. And my father would... He was a pilot in the Air Force. He'd bring back art from Hong Kong and Tokyo. And I fell in love with Chinese brush paintings. And in my 10-year-old uh, expertise, I tried to do them, you know, to paint like that. And I tried to paint Chinese characters because I, I just fell in love with them. Uh, and I realized that there was another way of being than what I'd grown up with, you know, with a Western philosophy. So when, when I came back to the States uh, at age 12, I was in school drawing a picture of a palm tree in my art class. And all the other kids in the class laughed at me in uh, Grandview, Missouri, because they said, Diane does not know how to draw a tree. She's got all the branches coming out from the top. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, there's not one way to be a tree. There's not one way to look at the world. So um, did a lot of reading. When I was in college, I practiced meditation and discovered the Tao Te Ching, you know, in its, in its actual form instead of um, just sort of the art and, and the, uh, the way of looking at life. But even the art shows us something that in the West we're not familiar with. Most Asian art has a lot of open space in it. In Japanese, the term is yohaku, which is the empty space. And the Tao talks about the importance of the empty space, the sense of yin, which is just as important as the active uh, busyness that we have in the West. But in the West, we're so yang, we forget about the empty space. We forget about contemplative time, the importance of, of meditation, of just sort of walking around and feeling one with nature. So that uh, I was seeking my balance since age 10 and uh, finding wonderful uh, guidance toward that in the Tao Te Ching. Right, right. Uh, and so... So you something started age ten, and this interest in the art, and then when you when when you got to college, you found the the Tao Te Ching. And so what, yeah, what was your 
did someone like recommend the book to you? Like, how were you first introduced and how did you get into it? Oh my gosh. Well, I went to uh, the University of California, Riverside, and one of my very best friends and I read Alan Watts, The Way of Zen. We tried to meditate. We were, you know, we were, we were kind of uh, interested in Eastern philosophy. So we had our own little uh, <laughs> dojo, as it were, <laughs> there, <laughs> the, the two of us talking about these things and discovered the Tao. Right, right. And, uh, and, and then so you started reading it. And, and what, what was like your initial, uh, I suppose, response in your life to this? Were you, did, did it deepen a particular understanding? Like what was its initial impact? Um, recognition. Okay. You know, I saw what, what I was looking for, for, for years, the fact that in my country and in a lot of Western countries, we see things in terms of either or, all or nothing, win or lose, which is very bad for relationships between people and nations because we cannot find common ground. You know, there's something, it's a logical fallacy of the false dilemma. We see either one extreme or the other and get stuck. And of course, the Tao has yin and yang. You know, it has these two, uh, they look like a, a dark fish and a white fish swimming together, comprising a larger whole. And each has a little bit of a, a dot of one of, of the other extreme in it. So that it's, it's this oneness, it's this wholeness. And I thought, yes, that explains it. You know, it's not either or. It's not all or nothing. It doesn't mean that one individual needs to be subordinated to another individual. It's not power over. It is power with. To recognize that dynamic could help us in so many ways, personally and politically. So mm. I recognized that the Tao showed how to reconcile opposites into a larger pattern. Right, right. And, and what were some of the ways that you, you started to apply that uh, in, in those early years in, in college? Uh, well, <laughs> I tried. Um, I recognized what happens when we don't apply it. Uh, once, when in the spring of my junior year, my... Uh, my boyfriend proposed to me one night under the stars. It was very romantic. And so I said, of course, I said, yes, you know. And he said, in the next breath, he said, okay, so we've gotten that out of the way. So uh, if you really love me, you'll drop out of school now and work so that I can go to graduate school. And I, I loved college. I was working my way through college, at the, working at the local newspaper. I wanted to become a college professor. And I looked at him and said, why can't we both go to graduate school? And he said, you're being selfish. And it broke up with me that night. So I got a proposal and a breakup the same night. It was pretty dramatic. But what I realized was that it was all or nothing in his mind. Yeah. It couldn't be that we could both go to grad school, that we could get graduate fellowships, we could work, we could, you know, there, there were ways that we could have worked this out. We did not, obviously. He went off mm. to grad. Well, that year, he was a year ahead of me in, in college. And the next year, I got a full graduate fellowship to the PhD program at UCLA, which was wonderful. But we, we could have done it together if we had had the perspective of Tao. And right. you know, so, so, you know, what happens 
when we don't have the perspective of Tao is that we only have two choices in life, mm-hmm. one extreme or the other. And when we have the Tao perspective, we can work together to find any number of possibilities. Our world has more than two dimensions. <laughs> and with all the individuals on this planet, our world has more than two perspectives. And it's important to to include multiple perspectives in order to get a really complete and holistic vision and to solve our problems with new creative uh, possibilities. So um, that was a demonstration to me of what happens when we do not have (laughs) the Tao perspective. When we do, um, and my PhD was in spiritual development in uh, Renaissance literature, When we do, we develop spiritually. We are constantly growing and learning and evolving uh, throughout our lives. That doesn't stop. We're not stuck with limited possibilities. So in essence, my unfortunate experience as an undergraduate (laughs) helped me in graduate school because I kept looking at the convergence of um, spiritual development in this case, in Renaissance literature and psychological development, it made me think uh, in an interdisciplinary manner, and that created my dissertation. I kept thinking, my gosh, these British poets, you know, hundreds of years ago knew something that psychologists are just discovering now. <laughs> about, you know, it's amazing how we have to keep rediscovering some of the same truths. Um, well, yeah. the is 25 centuries old. What? Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. are still discovering some of its basic truths. Yeah, and I guess we always will. Yeah, right. It seems yeah. like it's, it's there, there to be discovered for each generation, rediscovered, discovered. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, in each lifetime, perhaps, but first mm. in each generation. And my hope is that we rediscover the wisdom of the Tao and being, you know, part of nature before we uh, trash the planet with, uh, you know, climate change, global warming, et cetera, or our, our foolish uh, desires to dominate each other, which result in war. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and something you said there was a couple of things that you said that was interesting was the first was um, that holding these different perspectives could be seen as a form of spiritual development. That, that was interesting to me because I'd always kind of had it in my head, well, spiritual development, oh, that's when I do my meditation, or oh, that's when I do my yoga. Um, and yet, like, I guess that's another quality of our spiritual development, isn't it? It's, it's this, this quality of holding space, yeah, for, 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 for differing perspectives. Absolutely. That's part of, you know, mindfulness meditation is that we meditate and we get, you know, these thoughts and feelings to sort of flow through our minds like, um, you know, like a river, you know, just um, carrying along fish, whatever it happens to be in the river. They just flow by. And instead of becoming, you know, inordinately attached to them, we can just say, oh, you know, anxiety or, oh, joy, oh, memory, you know. Uh, whatever it is, and they're all part of who we are. And we can, we can 
enlarge our acceptance instead of thinking, oh, this is a bad feeling or I feel shame or whatever uh, for, for having that thought. Um, this is all part of who we are. You know, it's it's this can this larger whole, which yeah. I think is peace of mind. Yeah, and 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 the the connection I'm making as you're speaking is that we can, of course, we can do that at an individual level when we just sort of let go, watch those thoughts and feelings come in, and, and let them go. But also at societal level, like, oh, okay, so that person's got that perspective on this political issue, and and that person's got that perspective, and that person's got that perspective, and I can, I can kind of be accepting of all of them, and and not and not feel I need to you know, get on the blue team to be against this or get on the red team to be against that. Yeah, absolutely. The Tao gives us a, a beautiful concept of leadership, which is the leader as facilitator. And mm. uh, a quote from the Tao Te Ching that says, um, with the best of leaders, when the project is done, the, the, the work completed, the people all say we did it ourselves. Mm. The, the leader brings out the best in people and combines all of their perspectives and resources into something, something new and something really useful. Carl Rogers, the you know humanistic psychologist, used to carry that quote from the Tao Te Ching in his wallet because that was part of how he saw his psychotherapy and also his peace work was to be a facilitator to help people discover what was within them to bring it forward and to combine these into new possibilities. Right. Yeah, we need more of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm, I'm just thinking, but then, because you, you brought up climate change, right? So there will mm -hmm. be some people who feel like, you know, it's good to burn oil. Um, you know, we're not causing, there's not a man-made climate change issue here. It's just part of the cycles. Um, and from what you said, you, you might have a different opinion than that. And you may think, oh no, well, this, this is trashing the planet and this is not good for the, so, you know, in your own experience, how do you handle, you know, when you're presented with, I guess, political perspectives that feel wrong in some way or. Um, okay. Wow. Richard, <laughs> that's a heavy question. Um, in my country, we have a real polarization. Uh, to such a degree that uh, our capital was stormed by people who wanted to stop the election because they didn't like the outcome. Okay. And, you know, so we're really, really polarized. I have joined a group called Braver Angels, which uh, was started by a psychotherapist who uses marriage and family counseling techniques to bring people, the reds and the blues together. And we have these meetings. Um, for a while, they've been on Zoom because of COVID, where a person will share, you know, this is how I see um, whatever the problem is, you know, a particular issue. Uh, the one last one I went to was on gun control or gun safety or gun, you know, um, gun rights. And we had people on either side. And the, the rules are that you don't interrupt the person, you don't put the other person down, you listen, active listening. And then you reflect back what you heard and that the person doesn't that the person who's speaking does not preach, but just speaks from his or her own experience. So uh, they, you know, all the participants did that. And then that's stage one, you know, listening to each other with respect. And 
And and instead of just thinking this person is wrong, this person is bad, I'm going to be defensive here, to just take a deep breath and listen. And then to look for common ground. What is the one concept? What is one thing that we all share? And we always have common ground. Um, Maslow said we have certain basic needs. You know, we need air, we need food, we need water, we need security, we need safety. And a safety need seemed to be underlying both extremes in the, the gun discussion. The people who wanted to have guns saw that as a way to be safe. The people who were wanting there to be some regulation of guns wanted to be safe from people who would come and shoot them. So that, uh, okay, we're, we're all concerned about safety. What can we do? Okay, step three, what is one step that we can agree on from our common ground that we can take together? And when we can do that, it takes, of course, being centered uh, first to be even to be able to listen and to stop being stressed out, defensive and, and fearful of, of the other, but to get down more deeply. And it, it's amazing. So there was, you know, people uh, through Braver Angels have become friends with people who have completely different political points of view. And uh, I thought, oh, isn't this wonderful? So I was right before COVID at, at the gym working out and uh, on a treadmill, a kind of wonderful metaphor for life. <laughs> and next to me was this woman, Mary Ann. Um, and I am a registered Democrat and she is and was at that time a Republican. And she was going on about all the things that concerned her, you know, and I thought, well, she's obviously a Republican. She's, you know, this is how she's thinking. So I thought, I will practice what I learned in Braver Angels. So I listened to her and I finally found a, an issue that we could agree on. And, you know, I said, you know, oh, you're concerned about prescription drugs. Yes. And she went on, on you know, and I said, uh, you're right. And she looked at me like, oh, <laughs> I said, we, we really need to do something to make sure that they're safe. Again, I think a lot of people underneath their opposition are really dealing with safety needs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, she was concerned that a lot of these drugs or generics are made out of the country and are not, you know, really uh, inspected properly and that some of our drugs could actually make us sicker. Uh, so I said, what can we do about this? And we ended up both calling into a town hall meeting with our local congressional representative and sharing our concerns. And then uh, the congressional representative was actually the chair of, of, a, of a health task force in Congress. So she said, oh, well, I'll bring that up. And uh, then she sent out a newsletter saying that she had brought it up and next time I went to the gym and saw Marianne, we high-fived each other and we did together. And we were together and we became friends because we created a bridge in, instead of a wall that separated us. We found common ground. We actually uh, helped, made, made a little bit step forward with, you know, inspection of drugs, et cetera. So that was a good thing. But we also transcended our our 
perceived differences in our polarized politics. So I, I'm, I'm confident that there's always common ground. You can combine the yin and the yang into some larger whole. The wisdom of Tao is still with us when we practice it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and God, I mean, it's almost like, is there an issue in politics right now that couldn't do with this, right? I mean, it's almost, it seems like every, you know, and maybe this has always been the case, but it perhaps more than ever, there is the, these um, extreme, this seems like extreme division, right? On, on, on topic after topic after topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like the need for this ability is greater than ever. It's ability to hold space in the way that you're describing. Yeah, yeah. And we can, we can only do that when we begin with ourselves. We have to create greater peace within us in order to create greater peace around us. Because when we're not at peace, we're stressed, we're defensive. And when we're stressed, our brains don't operate very well. Uh, our immune system and our digestive system shut down. And our higher brain functions are offline because we're in a stage of fight, flight, or freeze, you know, to, to, to save ourselves. And that was really adaptive, you know, and, and it still is when we're in an emergency situation. But... What I've seen is that most of us, because of the news, because of the stress, because of COVID, et cetera, are in a state of chronic stress. So we're extremely reactive, you know, (laughs) you know, defensive. And that keeps us from finding common ground. That just makes the problem worse. So we need to begin with ourselves first and find inner peace, find find balance. Yeah, and that's, yeah. And of course, it's the place where none of us want to go first. <laughs> it's always like, <laughs> I'd much rather win my political battle than I would do the inner work. Yeah, the inner work, but it, it's, as, as you say, you know, with your meditation and yoga, it's, it's part of, oh gosh, uh, years ago, it's part of tuning our instruments. John Kabat-Zinn came to Santa Clara University to give a talk. And a student stood up in the audience and said, don't you think it's rather selfish of you to spend so much time meditating when there are all these problems in the world? (laughs) And John took a deep breath, smiled and said, well, you know, when I go to the Boston Symphony, I notice that the musicians take time to tune their instruments before they begin playing. And I see our our spiritual practices, our, you know, yoga, our whatever we do on a regular basis that helps us be centered, that is tuning our instruments so that we can create greater harmony. When we, when we don't tune our instruments, we're going to play out of tune. We're going to have discord. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Um, yeah, and, and I've found that I've, yeah, as I've worked on, on all, of, all of this, you know, on, on, on what we're talking about and finding balance and being, being centered. Yeah. I've become more and more able just to, well, just to, to let go of political perspectives and, and dogma and just, just keep giving it up and keep giving it up and keep giving it up and, and be with whatever's there and actually become less interested in politics in some, in some way. Um, Cause I just don't feel like I want to engage in, yeah, in the fight so much, but what, what you've said about, 
the reason why perhaps we're so palatified is because we're so stressed as a society because we're so unsent, you know, not, not centered. We, we, I think what I see a lot of is like, how do we create a different political context that would mean we're not so polarized, but perhaps we have to go deeper than that and look at, at individuals and how centered they are. We have to, um, I think we have to begin with ourselves and the Tao is all about energies, you know, the energies of yin and yang, uh, which create, which are the fundamental uh, aspects of all creation. So when we're, our energies are centered, we affect the energies of those around us. I remember I used to train in Aikido, which is a nonviolent martial art for defuse conflict without trying to hurt the, uh, the person who's attacking us. And it's lots of fun and it's very Tao. My sensei, Sonny, was uh, one time in a, in a restaurant and he, he just had walked in and these two guys started to fight. You know, they were, you know, they were gearing up for a fight. And Sonny, being a black belt in Aikido, got into the centered position, which you, you bend your knees, you breathe into your hara, which is two inches below the navel, and you just center down. And he did that. And it stopped, changed the energies of the entire room. The guys stopped <laughs> fighting. They looked at him. <laughs> that was that. He, had, he didn't have to do anything but center down. Of course, he was a black belt. I was only a blue belt. But nevertheless, I'm aware of the fact that our energies can affect the energies of those around us directly, the, the people we relate to. So to be energetically responsible in terms of the Tao is to do our own inner work. Yeah. Are you, a, are you a black belt now? No. <laughs> you been into any bars since? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I actually uh, have a herniated disc in my back, which I got walking around campus. So I, I can't do the back falls in, in you know. Okay. So I practice Aikido in a, in a, metaphorical sense when when I uh, when somebody and it worked really well when I was department chair dealing with university administrators, they would come at me with something that felt like an attack. And I'd simply I just breathe into my horror, get off the line and let the bad in the negative energy go by and then just look at them and say, so what I'm hearing is. <laughs> and it works, you know, um, there are books about physical Aikido, but there's a psychological, spiritual Aikido that we can practice in our lives. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and this is a one, but this is, this is something that I suppose is an idea that, that keeps coming to me um, of late, that the transformation of the world is a one by one by one by one by one, right? It's like each of us, each of us has to go inside and do this work. It's not, it, it, it can be maybe form like a movement at some level, but it, it all has to be predicated on one by one by one by one doing this, doing this work. Yeah, it has to begin with ourselves. You know, yeah. the old song that I used to sing in, in the church, you know, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Uh, right. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. However, we don't need to do it all by ourselves. Mm -hmm. so we do that inner work. We connect with other people who are also uh, seeking the light, and together we can create more light. So we find allies, we find brothers and sisters 
in in the cause, you know, of, of that higher consciousness. And collectively, we can do a lot, you know. Uh, but to yeah. Margaret, yeah, Margaret Mead said something like, uh, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. So right. do the inner work, find a group of allies, and then together, you know, discover new possibilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, yeah. And, and so for you, so it started when you were 11, then you got deeper into Tao when when you were in college. Were there any kind of significant breakthroughs that you, you've kind of identified along your journey that, that helped you find new levels of inner peace or, or, or new relationships with the Tao? Um, I have an ongoing relationship with nature. <laughs> I love um, being out walking in nature, looking at the trees. We're you know, in a lovely area here in Northern California and, and gardening. Uh, I find gardening almost a spiritual practice. I mean, there's a lot of good exercise that I get digging and planting and weeding and stuff, but also just looking at the miracle of, of what happens when you plant a seed, you know, the nature is, is quite forgiving and uh, not infinitely forgiving. I mean, but, but also infinitely, uh, creative. I, I was looking at, I, I have these tomato plants growing in my yard now. And uh, one tomato has lots of tomato seeds. You can plant one tomato seed and you get, there's one tomato plant called Sweet Millions. And it has all these little tomatoes on it. I'm thinking, isn't that interesting? All this came from one seed. And then each tomato has, you know, if you open them up, they're like little mandalas, they've got all this, you know, uh, all these seeds within them. And each one of them could become a new tomato plant. I mean, it's it's almost like, okay, infinite possibilities, right? Not mm. either, not just two things, but, you know, a myriad of possibilities. So that when I'm feeling, um, I guess, less than or uh, at, a, at a dead end and thinking, I, I can go out into my garden and say, well, look, look at this. And there's, um, I, I planted green beans and they have something that they, they, they know how to grow up. Um, you know, if you put a, a stake in the ground, the green bean has an intelligence all its own and it will find its way and wind its way up that stake. You don't have to tell it what to do. It knows what to do. You know, it, it reaches up and sunflowers are heliotropic. They, they turn toward the sun, which is probably why sunflowers are the international symbol of hope and the national symbol of you, the national flower of Ukraine. You know, turn okay. toward the light. <laughs> they are not going to turn toward the darkness. They turn toward the light so that there's, there's a wisdom in nature that, that I, I learned from, you know, there are lessons out there. Meditating on nature is, is an ancient practice, goes back, I suppose, at least to the Middle Ages, but probably further back than that into the classics and way back to the Tao Te Ching. Mm. Lao Tzu wrote the Tao Te Ching in ancient China during the Warring States period, when the world as he knew it was falling apart, and he found consolation in nature. In the, in the the symbolism, 
you know, bamboo that bends with the wind but doesn't break, resilience. With water that is gentle and nurturing, but with perseverance can cut through solid rock and which carved the, the Grand Canyon in my country, which is pretty. Mm. <laughs> so that, you know, there's a power in water, which is flexible and nurturing and persistent and strong. Well, that's that, the yin and the yang, right? Right there. Together. In yeah. And that's, that's the kind of strength that I would like to see more in our humanness, to recognize that there is strength in being flexible and being, you know, nurturing and in persevering in a cause that we believe in, you know, both, both and not either or. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that resonates. I mean, it so resonates with my therapeutic work is that I just, I just keep finding like aspects of my masculinity that I'd not, that have gone unexpressed and aspects of my feminine. And I, I'm constantly working to become a fuller expression of both my masculinity and my femininity. And that feels to me like the, one of the best ways to characterize that inner work that I've been doing, you know, with my deeper therapeutic work. That's beautiful. And we're always in discovery. You know, we're always, mm. there's a psychologist, uh, Carol Dweck out here at Stanford university, who's, who's talked about the power of the growth mindset that uh, when children are in school, and if they believe, you know, I'm not good at art or I'm not good at math uh, because they haven't learned these things. OK, <laughs> I mean, there was a time when I was not good at reading and now I have a Ph.D. Well, guess what? You know, there's something called the growth mindset. We can learn. Okay, <laughs> uh, And when we believe that we can learn and that the mind is like a muscle and that our souls are constantly evolving on that level, that we then continue to learn. And we continue to grow um, so that Carol Dweck said, if you reinforce a child and say, you're really smart, that's really not so good because then the child thinks, oh, they think I'm smart. I, I'm afraid to make a mistake. You know, I have to maintain my reputation. I've had students like that in college who won't take a course that they're kind of interested in, but they don't know anything about because they're afraid they'll get a bad grade. <laughs> So they just play it safe instead of saying, oh, I'm, I'd like to learn about that. And recognizing that the more you practice something, the deeper you can go and the more you can learn. So having a growth mindset about ourselves, about our world, you know, that's what nature shows me is that, you know, there's a growth mindset that we're part of. And in Chinese calligraphy, the symbol for a human being is Ren, uh, which is an upside down V. And the symbol for big is, you know, a parallel line that goes through that, like a person is saying big and reaching his or her arms out. And then the symbol for nature is another parallel line right, of, right uh, at the top of that V. So in Chinese, symbolism in their language, in their writing the human being is an integral part of nature. And I think we need more of that in our culture. Uh, it's not in our language. It's not in our calligraphy. But it's in our, it's in our DNA, you know. Uh, we, what we, it's, it's in our everyday lives. What we breathe out, the trees breathe in. There's a constant exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide 
yin and yang uh, all the time or else uh, we couldn't maintain our life on this planet. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want a growth mindset, get out and grow, grow something. Yeah. Right. Right. Just get out and watch something grow. Get out the tree or, or a tomato plant or, or something, you know, have a, have a house plant recognize and, you know, growth, obviously there are challenges. You have to give, the plants need enough sunshine, enough water, not too much, not too little. Again, a balance. And we need our own balance. So we can learn from that too. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 we've had a lot of people on the on the, you know, or a few people on the podcast talk about embodiment. And uh, something that really struck me from one of the interviews was how um one of the ways that w- which we regulate regulate our bodies is it is in nature. And, and perhaps one of the reasons why we're so uh, uncentered right now is that we've so many of us who need this connection to nature to regulate, but don't just don't have it in their lives. Um, and yeah. I know you're gone. No, go ahead. <laughs> and I was just going to say, I noticed I, I went, I went um, canoeing with my kids. I've got t- twin boys and we, we went canoeing at the weekend. Just, just, nearby and little canoe trip and then and then camp wild camped up in the on the forest and i just noticed like literally literally within like i don't know an hour of being in the forest i i, I just felt completely different completely different from uh from from where i'd you know been just you know just a few hours before you know at home and how that the impact can be and, and perhaps that's because i've become so res- receptive maybe it's 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 a combination of all of the, you know the meditation and the yoga and everything else has mm-hmm. me be receptive in a particular way but what maybe or maybe not but but what struck me was how quickly this forest could impact me and regulate me two things um that you're more aware because of your spiritual practice mm. but but underneath that we <laughs> is this your your physiological embodiment of of this you know this oneness with nature which relaxes us which brings us peace i mean the Tao says that when we value ourselves as part of nature and value nature as ourselves we're at home in the oneness of Tao. and i think that a lot of us feel like we're not really at home there's this underlying anxiety and stress i mean you know it's it's the uh Researchers have shown that apparently there's more stress, depression, and anxiety uh, now than ever before, and a lot of it is due to COVID. But beyond, but before that, there was still a lot of anxiety and depression because we we fence ourselves off from our natural home. Um, you know, we live in a world of technology, which has its wonders, but uh, if we're only in technology we lose touch with our, our grounding in, in nature, which can bring us, uh, it, it lowers our blood pressure, uh, you know, brings us a sense of peace of mind. Um, there's this practice of called forest bathing where people can go out in Japan and just sort of stand in the woods and walk in the woods. And they've measured that people are more peaceful you know, uh, their immune systems function better with within 15 minutes. Well, that would be consistent with what I experienced. Yeah, it was, it was so quick. Yeah, yeah. 
that, you know, we're back in touch with our oneness with nature. And we need mm. that. Doesn't take much. I mean, going camping out there and canoeing and all, I mean, that's fantastic. But a person mm. can simply just step outside and look at the night sky and just realize that there's something more than our egos. I think when we're imprisoned in our egos, we we feel isolated, uh, kind of shut shut off, uh, lonely, and helpless. You know, there's this anxiety. You know, when we're when we're that isolated, where we see ourselves as you know we're alienated from from the larger whole, from the tribe, mm. from from reality, and getting yeah. back in touch is is so healing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and the abundance that was the other thing that came to me like just just how abundant nature is like we needed to make we wanted to, I was cooking the kids some some food and so I needed to make a little fire and literally like within just you know a, f- a few meters of where our tent is I could like grab a clump of dried out fern leaves you know to get the fire started and then like literally two steps in another direction I can break off some rotten wood and I light a match and. And, and within minutes, I've got a roaring fire. Like, and nature's just, you know, and if you view it and you're open to that, it's so abundant. Like, it's so abundant. And and yet, of course, in our day-to-day lives, they're like, have I, can I pay the mortgage? And have I got enough for yeah. this? And can I afford that? And am I going to be able to, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. make, make, make enough to get the latest iPhone, right? Like, it's so, that world is just such nonsense, isn't it? And so, yeah, and so, <laughs> yeah it's just, just sort of imbued with this sense of scarcity. Absolutely. That's the contrast. You know, when I feel like I've got to, I've got to make enough money, I've got to do this. It, it's a constant struggle just to stay, you know, stay afloat. Uh, and I've got to pay these bills. I've got to do these things. And I've got to do it all myself uh, because I've somehow, you know, been disconnected from larger possibilities. And, Without a sense of connection to people we care about, to nature, we can't trust. And I, that, you know, that's essential. I love, I love the fact that when I'm out just working in my garden, like you found the firewood, I was, I was planting these pumpkin seedlings. A friend of mine gave me pumpkin seeds because her, her yard is so manicured. She doesn't have any place to plant pumpkins. And mine, of course, we've got some wild space. So I wanted to give them some really nurturing soil. So I thought, ah, I will get my compost. And I went digging in my compost. And there was this wonderful, you know, garden soil that had been made from kitchen garbage, you know. And it goes down and it becomes, uh, you know, again, it's a cycle, right? The, the Tao tells us that nature happens in, in, in cycles of growth. So I took this compost put it out there where I wanted to plant, you know, enrich the soil. But, and, and it was all there for me. Everything I needed was provided, you know, by nature. Um, planting soil from the compost, the seedlings, and, you know, the, the sunshine and the water and everything. And then, you know, so I'm going to go out uh, and, you know, give them a little bit more water today. But we don't need to do it all ourselves when we're in touch with nature. Nature provides, nature is something that we can lean back, take a deep breath and trust that nature offers us possibilities. 
And I think a lot of us are feeling the lack of trust because we feel like we've got to do it all ourselves. Yeah, that's so true. Just sort of relax and and and, and sort of fall into, yeah, that sense mm-hmm. of nature will provide. It's okay. Yeah. But no, that's, that's so true. And, you know, and that makes sense even with my firewood story, right? Like I just yeah. provided the match. Nature did like 90% of the work. Right. And nature will do that for us. You know, we need to, we need to cooperate with, you know, it's that again, uh, the difference between all or nothing, either, or I've got to do it all myself or else uh, is that I provide, I do my part and nature will do the rest. And that's, that's a situation of trust when I'm working with colleagues um, at the university to try to improve the system. Uh, there's this wonderful group, the you know committee on lectures and adjuncts, and the leader of that committee, Barbara, is is a Dow leader. She includes us all in the process, and together we come up with something much better than any one of us could think of alone. There's a sense of both and, you know, the collective wisdom, which is what the Dow reinforces. We work with nature. We work with one another. It's it's power with. And that that's that that brings me hope, you know, instead of the sense of anxiety of I've got to do it all myself. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know how to do it all myself. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh yeah, surrender, right? It's like is that trust that gives us that feeling that I, I can surrender here. Mm-hmm. That I can relax. I don't have to fight mm. everything that I that I feel like I need. Uh, which again, if we feel like we've got a fight, we're in fight or flight. We're in chronic stress. Yeah, yeah, and and, and again, I mean, it just—I I think that as a way to understand the world right now is—is is a really powerful form for me. It's something I'm taking from this conversation. Is like so much of it makes sense if you consider that a huge swathes of the population are in chronic stress. Yeah, and they can't think clearly. Because when mm. we're in chronic stress, we see things as polarized. You know, it's it's a threat to our survival. We've got to be defensive. It's, you know, fight or flight or freeze, which doesn't really give us very many options and makes us see anyone who disagrees with us as the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. And. Yeah. And and the answer, I mean, and, and I guess it, uh, what I wanted you to say there was, it, you know, the answer is simple. You know, it's these practices, it's, it's getting into connection with ourselves, with nature and so on, you know, and it requires discipline, right? It, 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 it's, there is the masculine there, right? It, it's, it's not all yin. It's, uh, there's some, some yag required to kick oh, off the process. Yeah. We, we have to commit to the process. Mm. We can't just be, you know, waiting or we can't just be reactive and think, okay, you know, um, we, we have to have an ongoing discipline, which is like everything. If, to maintain our bodies, we have to, we have to eat at certain intervals and sleep and exercise. And to maintain our emotional, spiritual balance, we have to have uh, a spiritual, uh, an uh, inner work, uh, a discipline. And it's different yeah. for different people. You know, some people actually, instead of doing yoga, they just take walks. And yeah. you know, that, that helps them unwind. I, I, you know, whatever it is, 
that that helps us get in touch with our deeper self, listen to ourselves, uh, be able to you know get rid of the noise of the stress reaction, and that, listen to that still small voice of our intuition of our deeper self, and just feel at peace. That's that's our discipline, and I think it's our responsibility as conscious human beings to do that, not only for ourselves, but as John Kabat-Zinn said, you know, to create harmony around us, we have to start there. And um, your beautiful podcast is a reminder to people that, uh, you know, we can all make a difference in our lives and in the lives and energies of those around us. Yeah, 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 we can. Um, oh, well, this, this is, this is wonderful. Is there, is there anything we've, you know, we've not touched on like that you wrote about in the book or that you're thinking and studying right now that, you know, we might want to talk about in respect to the Tao? Yeah, there's a quote from the Tao that says the way to greater light leads through the darkness. Going ahead feels like falling back. The even path seems rugged and hilly the highest power, a yielding valley. And that a lot of us in the past couple of years, especially with COVID and with a lot of the challenges that we faced personally and collectively, have felt like we're in the darkness and feel like somehow we shouldn't try to find inner peace and happiness when there's so much going on out there, you know. Is it irresponsible for us to do that? And the Tao tells us not to hide from the reality of the darkness with distractions, which is a big <laughs> thing a lot of people do, you know, when they're feeling, um, I don't know, dealing with darkness, they'll, they'll look toward uh, stimulants, uh, shopping, uh, you know, uh, binging on watching certain things on TV, uh, social media, whatever, to distract them from the darkness. And, but instead, to, to look within, to listen to our hearts, to recognize what we're feeling, not to hide from it. The way to greater light leads through the darkness. And relating the wisdom of doubt to recognize that we're also like the night sky, we are to find the light within the darkness, to still seek times of beauty, savoring the beauty of a sunrise or a sunset, savoring the the joy of meeting with a friend, of reading a book we enjoy, playing music that that, uh, brings us joy. We need to find bright moments of joy through the darkness because the Tao tells us, and Uh, Psychological research assures us that we function better and we can deal with our challenges and cope more effectively when we find moments of joy, like the stars in a night sky that can help lead us uh, on our way. You know, we need both and. So not to to feel guilty uh, for seeking, seeking moments of joy, even when we're going through the darkness, because that's when we really need them. And Mm -hmm. we all have that opportunity the Tao yeah. shows us both and and so and how do you you know what are the practices then that you use to have yourself find that joy or that pos- positive moment in in the darkness 
Oh, great. Okay. Well, I meditate uh, every morning and every night. I do spiritual reading. Uh, I do yoga. And I spend time in nature. And there's also something called savoring, which is to just pause and look at something beautiful for a moment and breathe it in, you know, recognize it. Mm. Uh, because that cuts the stress reaction. <laughs> it takes us back to a sense of hope. Um, and there are, there are, so savoring the good, um, yes. thinking of a friend that, that, uh, or a loved one that you really care about and just fe feeling gratitude. Okay. Another practice is a gratitude practice, which a lot of us are feeling anxious and fearful kind of beneath the surface. If we feel grateful, instead of worrying about something not working, you can feel grateful when it does, you know, yeah. worrying is this technology going to work? Am I going to manage to log on and get you know through here? Or when it happens to say, thank you, you know, I'm so grateful that it works because that reassures us that we can trust in our universe and we need that. Mm. So uh, lots of practices I've learned with the Positive Psychology Guild. And, right. uh, and one of them is connecting with other people, which is huge. We need yeah. connection. And that's often I well, in my experience, that's the hardest one to to when I'm in deep in the, you know, in the hole and I'm not, you know, the the hardest thing to reach for sometimes is is to actually try and connect with somebody else, pick up the phone or find someone to go, you know, connect with. Um yeah. Do you find that? Or that um uh, I find that sometimes it's better for me to connect with nature first. <laughs> <laughs> and then I can connect with a person. Because nature, <laughs> nature doesn't make me feel anxious uh, unless I guess there's a you know a tornado or something. But uh, <laughs> ordinarily, nature restores my hope. And then mm. do a lot of things. And we need, we need more hope these days. You know? uh, that's a light in the darkness. Yeah. 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 That, that makes a lot of, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and savoring. I, I really like that. And I must admit, it's not something I have as like a, it's a big practice, but I, you know, as you say it, when I have allowed myself to savor a tree or a flower or, or, or whatever it might be, or my kids, you know, you know, um, it makes a huge difference. It's really got me thinking about, can I, can I develop that more intentionally as a practice? Yeah, when when I was a young professor, one of my wise friends, Bill Barker, who was a wise older physics professor, used to tell me to stop and smell the roses. Mm. <laughs> we have a lot of roses growing on the Santa Clara University campus in the Mission Gardens. So I I think, well, what does he mean? You know, should I on my dashing? We were because we were always in a hurry, dashing to class. Americans are always in a hurry. Apparently, we're rushing around. You should watch the way we drive on the freeway, you know. Anyway. Well, you, so, you ever, uh, you've been to Italy or <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they they are they're even more so <laughs> crazy drivers. But you know, to stop and say and I look at the rose bush, I think I'm supposed to smell the roses. And so I tried, and then I realized that this was a metaphor. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> For savoring, you know, stop and, and just pause and breathe in just one breath. 
the beauty around you, uh, you know, having had lunch with a friend and thinking, thank you, you know, uh, it's just because otherwise we psychologists tell us we habituate to the good in our lives. You know, we end up taking it for granted. You know, it's just, uh -huh. yeah. And, and, and yeah, and, and the, uh, the worries, the problems, uh, we're, we've uh, adapted to, I mean, that's danger. So we're very aware of those. So it gives us an imbalance. If we have 80% good in our lives and a 20% of our lives is dealing with a challenge, what do we really focus on most? The challenge. Right. We about the, you know, the, the joy of, of a beautiful sunset, a wonderful meal with our family, our friends, time spent, you know, reading or playing music. That's just normal stuff. So we actually have to have a discipline for savoring and gratitude. We have to make ourselves pay attention to the good to balance it out. That's such a that's such a such a powerful insight. I mean, I'm not sure how many people realize that in the world, right? That's such an important fact of human nature, of being human, that we habituate to the good, like, and that we have to consciously develop because of that. And because, mm -hmm. of course, as you just discussed, we adapt to the stream. You know, we tend to lock on right to the to the, the stresses and the threats in our environment. But because of this habituation to the good, we have to develop a practice. That feels like such an important point. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, Robert Emmons, who's a psychologist here in California, who's done all this work on gratitude. The gratitude, just pausing at the end of the day to think of and perhaps write down three things we're grateful for. Uh, is is incredibly good for our mental, physical, emotional health. You know, it's just a simple thing. And again, there are there's you know, count your blessings before you go to sleep. It's an old practice, but he's done empirical research for decades now about the importance and the power of doing that. It it supports everything we do. It helps us see new new opportunities because when we're when we're narrow-mindedly focusing on the challenges in our lives. We don't have, we're, we're chronically stressed and we can't see the opportunities. So just a daily gratitude practice to just sort of think about what we're grateful for. Two friends yeah. and I have a gratitude practice on the email. We will send an email to the other two saying three things I'm grateful for. You know, Very often it's our friendship. And then the other, then the next person responds. And then we have sort of a chain email, you know, going around with gratitude because we figured that's a, that's a good practice, especially in challenging times. Yeah. So have, have a regular gratitude practice. It yeah. sounds simple, but it's powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's really, I mean, I, I don't do it habitually, but it's something I do. I do lean on. I do it on my hands. I'll just like hold out my fingers and say, okay, Richard, like, Give me five things, five, two, three, four, five things I'm grateful for. Yeah, that could be transform me in that, in that moment. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> when do you do that? Is it just, part of just in a moment when, when it comes to me, when it comes, but yeah, if I'm feeling down and like the world's shit and I hate this person and nothing's working. Yeah. In my better moments, when I remember, yeah, if I do the five <laughs> fingers gratitude, yeah, it's that's instant, mm -hmm. instant mm -hmm. restoration. Um, it's very hard to come out of that and not feel good about the world, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, we, uh, what is interesting to me is that Viktor Frankl discovered years ago in a Nazi concentration camp 
that the one freedom that no one can take from us is the, our ability to choose how we respond to any given situation. We have the agency as human beings to determine how we respond, you know, mm. to create a discipline of savoring, to create a discipline of gratitude, to create uh, inner work, you know, on a regular basis. And that helps us respond and not simply react with stress, you know? Yeah. 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 No, no, that makes, that makes so much sense. And the other, the other one I use, am I aware? Just that question. Yeah. Am I aware? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> am I aware? aware. Yeah. Well, that's it. The doubt, um, the doubt aging affirms awareness and with awareness comes mindful action. Without awareness, we have mindless action. And there are a lot of examples of that on the news. Okay. <laughs> mindless action is all around us. But mindful action, you know, when we're aware, that's, that's creative. That's not reactive. That's, that's the actual opposite. And that's the way, instead of repeating the negativity that we have experienced and making more of it, with awareness comes the opportunity for transformation. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> makes so much sense. The other, the other thing I'm, I'm just pondering as you talk is, you know, when we think about, you know, these, these chronic levels of stress in society and what we're talking about here is rituals, rituals. And we, we just don't seem to have a culture right now, unless if you're, unless you're like someone like you and I, or other people who actually go out and try and like seek out sources of you know, ritual and practice to, to incorporate into their lives. It, it, it's, it's not just there, right? Most of us aren't in, we're not, we, we're not in church anymore. We don't, we don't say grace before a meal. We're not, we're not habitually in nature because most of us aren't farming anymore. Like we've had so much of these rituals stripped from our culture. Um, no wonder we're all in chronic, chronic stress. And, and then I think, well, how do we build it? It's not like we can turn back the clock and, recreate some of those societies because perhaps some of that got us to where we are now but but i am left with the question how do we yeah how do we have societies where these these rituals these habits are more commonplace well that's a beautiful that's that's a beautiful question we uh we can't be luddites and, and try to go back to uh the stone age or you know the uh agricultural age but to have lost some of these rituals, to be agrarian, you know, uh, mm. working with, with, with the earth, there's a sense of planting the seed, watching it grow, harvesting, and then, you know, the, then the sense of dormancy, planning, reflecting, and then starting over again. And unless we have that seasonal cycle, we're just always in the middle of things, you know, and nothing is ever completed. Uh, a lot of our work is never done because we're, we, we don't have that sense of, of the cycle of, of growth and completion and celebration, harvest celebrations. So how do we make, make these things happen for us? And how do, we, how do we have rituals that help us navigate through a very stressful culture? There's a woman, Catherine Getsky, who's worked with the United Nations on a project called IFRED, the International Foundation for uh, Research on and Education on Depression. And she has established 
hopeful mindsets for college students, which I helped uh, was as a consultant on, and hopeful minds for elementary school students and hopeful cities. And all of these hope projects, because she feels like we need more hope, um, have five qualities, five practices that she's uh, reaching out and, try and, and teaching people because we don't learn them in church because of what you said. We don't learn them in school. We very often don't learn them in our families if our families are dysfunctional. And so how do we learn how to hope? And the acronym for, for these is SHINE. First is stress skills, to recognize when we're stressed, to take a deep breath, to cut the stress reaction. The second one is happiness habits, like like uh, savoring, gratitude, being in nature, spending time with friends, okay, playing musical instrument, things that make us happy. Um, the, the third is I, for inspired action, to set goals that are meaningful toward for us and to move toward our goals, to have something that brings meaning to our lives. The N is networking for hope, to get together with other people, right. <laughs> to connect. <laughs> And the E, the last one, is to eliminate hope challenges with the other four. Okay, So when we're feeling depressed, okay, what can I do? Network for hope. Uh, think uh, about goals. You know, uh, do something that makes me happy or primarily, you know, cut the stress reaction. And she's teaching these skills on many levels, um, you know, from elementary school through adult adulthood, because we don't have them in our culture anymore. Yeah, to learn them. Yeah, I mean, and that's a good place. I mean, and a school. I mean, as much as there's a a ton that's wrong with the school system, it is an opportunity where you can actually inculcate a ritual, right? You you can put a ritual. You know, you've got these kids; they're going to be there for extra. It's very easy to ritualize. Well, I mean, they already exist on rituals, so it's very easy to introduce new rituals. Right, and. And so she's got free curriculum for uh, elementary mm. school teachers uh, on mindful, you know, um, just, uh, you know, on, on uh, mind, hopefulminds.org, hopefulminds.org for free. They can go there and download this whole curriculum that they can put into their classes and, and tell their little students, oh, when you're stressed, here's what you can do about it. Now, really, just that one thing. Nobody taught me that in school. No, 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 no. No, no. <laughs> no exactly. And, 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 and how easy would it be to, like, end the school day? Like, you get all the kids together and you go around the, the classroom and everybody shares three things they're grateful for from the day, for example. Like, you can just imagine how easy it would be to build that into the culture. Right. And, and again, there, there are places where we can introduce these rituals and then people, yeah. they become part of people's lives. And they, they'll have the tools they need. Without the tools we need, we're at the mercy of externals, you know, unless, yeah. we're, you know, unless we're studying Eastern philosophy or doing inner work. I mean, we don't get these things automatically. If all no, our, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> And that brings me full circle in a sense, because, you know, I, I, I said earlier that I'm coming to this, this increasing realization that this has to be, a, you know, to the extent that we can trans change the world, you know, transform society has to be one by one by one. And, and we can ask ourselves the question, like, how can I introduce rituals into my environment 
that would help others with their own transformation. Absolutely. So it's a one by one by one. And as the ones become more aware, they are more aware of opportunities <laughs> to uh, introduce these rituals to others. So it's yeah. both and again, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's both and. Awesome. Um, great. Well, um, is there, a, yeah, is there, a, is there anything else? This, this just feels like it's been such a rich conversation. Is, is, is there anything else we need to, to talk about or to mention? Well, I suppose that uh, one of my favorite quotes from the Tao Te Ching is a good place to, you know, kind of culminate. When so many of us are feeling like the problems are so big and there are so many of them, we can feel helpless, you know, learned helplessness. Martin Seligman, a positive psychologist, said, you know, leads to depression. So we have to believe that we can make a difference. Uh, individually with our own awareness. And then working on that, we'll see new possibilities. And the, my intention in my work is for people to realize that as we become more aware, we will find uh, the new possibilities and creative actions. And the Tao Te Ching uh, reassures us that we can begin this right now with a very small step because in Tao 64, a tree that grows beyond your reach springs from a tiny seed. A building over nine stories high begins with a handful of earth. And the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Mm. You can take that step, which will lead to another, as we move forward on the path of greater hope, greater peace, and greater possibility. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a perfect place to end. And of course, maybe one of the most, that particular line of the most famous from the Tao Te Ching. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, well, thanks again. Let's, you know, for people who want to take a dive into the book and uh, beautifully written book. And as I was, I was confessing before we came on, I've read, um, I read about the first half and I was just sharing with people what I love about your work. And I've, I've read others on the Tao Te Ching is the fact that you, you go deeply into the, um, into the into the the nature of the the script, right? The the Chinese symbols that were used to express these lines originally, and the meaning of those symbols, and just gives another dimension to how you're you're breaking down this work, which I, I thought was which was was really valuable. I'm looking forward to reading the the rest of the book. So you know, go out and buy uh, the Tao of Inner Peace. Is there anything? Is there anywhere else you'd, you'd send people? Or, uh, okay. Um, thank you, Richard. Yes, my book just came out this year in a new audio book uh, okay. edition from uh, Penguin Random House. And it's there in most places. There's a free sample of the audio book on Amazon. And right. uh, I invite people to go there. And if they'd like to visit my website, it's uh, dianedreer.com, D-I-A-N-E, E-R-E-H-E-R.com. And then they could subscribe to my seasonal newsletter, which has insights from the Tao Te Ching on the four seasons of the year. And the summer, the spring one is out now. The summer one will be coming uh, shortly as we I go. I love that. Walk, walking your talk. Yeah, right. <laughs> seasonal. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, you, I interrupted you, Con. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
Thank you for this opportunity and thank you for all that you're doing to help people create new awareness and deeper awareness of, of what it means to be human in this most interesting time. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. And this one especially has been, has been great fun. So thanks again, Diane, uh, for sharing your time and, uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. We're just coming into our evening. Uh, I guess you're, you're, you're at the start of your day. So, uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of it and get some moments to savor. That's what I'm definitely, I'm going to commit to doing is yeah, savoring something on my, uh, commute home. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Great. Okay. Thanks again. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.